turn with me to Mark chapter 12, verses 41 through 44, as we continue our study in the book of Mark. Just real quick, a lot of visitors here today, just as a, you know, just as an aside as to what we do here at Redeemer, we just preach through books of the Bible. And so we, we'll pick one and then we just kind of go from, from the beginning to the end. And that's kind of how we handle the word. That's not necessarily the only right way to do things. It's just how we do things. And so if you're wondering why we've picked Mark 12, 41 through 44 for the day, for the weekend after Christmas, it's just because that was the next thing to preach on. And so this, just so you know, that's kind of the, how we choose a text each week. Next week we'll be in Mark chapter 13. It's kind of nice. It's good for me as the pastor who's preparing and it's good for you so that you can prepare every time before you come and that you can be read and studied as well. And so before we go to his word, let's go to him in prayer and ask for his help. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, as we come to your holy word, we come to you as people who are not always wise, who are not always holy, and who struggle with the menial things of the faith, much less the difficult ones. And so, Lord, as we open your holy word, as we come to you only wise, we pray that you would help us, that you would give us wisdom, that you would give us understanding, that you would convict us of our sins, that you would show us your truth. And we pray this in your holy name. Amen. So as this passage in the Mark chapter 12 is about this lady who gives just a little bit, we're going to talk a lot about offering today. And I thought it appropriate to talk about this idea of passing the plate. We do not pass the plate here at Redeemer. I'm going to talk about this a little bit later, but we have this box here in the front of the church that's for offering. This idea of actually passing the plate, which a lot of us are familiar with if we've been to any church ever, It always hasn't been a thing in churches. In fact, the first churches in the American colonies were supported by the government because that's kind of how they did in England. And so they kind of did it the same way when they came over here because churches were seen as service organizations and the government supported that. Well, slowly, states began to pull back their support. So churches had to develop ways to pay their pastor, to maintain the buildings and the ministries that they had. And so passing the offering plate around the church at a particular time during the worship service was a way that churches did to figure that out. Incorporating it into the worship service because giving is an act of worship when we give to the Lord, when we give to his works. This is a good idea. It's been dominant in the churches, particularly in this country. It's a way that churches have supported themselves. Again, we don't do that here. We'll get into that. It's not because we have discovered the right way and that the other way is wrong. Nothing like that. It's just how we've decided to do it here. In our text today, we're going to see this idea with this collection of the offerings and how it's happening a lot differently in the temple. In our passage, the offerings were collected as a, and a part of the temple. Each person would drop their offerings in as they entered in. Jesus is going to use this opportunity, as he always has, to, con- to compare and to contrast the two types of giving that we'll see. And we have to be careful here because Jesus isn't giving us necessarily a paradigm for giving. So we have to be careful. But rather, 
he's pointing out a fact that anyone watching, or anyone watching could have seen this. But that said, when we look in the other places in the New Testament, which we're going to do, and pair them with this, what we see here, I think we can see, at least can start to get a glimpse of what giving looks like in the life of a believer. So as we've done this in the rest of the passage in this chapter, we're going to look at these two extremes that are being presented as shown. First point is giving from excess, and the second then giving from poverty. So with that, let's look together at God's Word, Mark chapter 12, starting at verse 41. Please stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's holy word. Mark chapter 12, starting at verse 41. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all that she had to live on. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. So real quick, some context here. The giving in the temple and the offerings there collected in the temple was a pretty complex thing. Did a lot of study on this this week. It's fairly interesting. One of the temple courts there in Herod's temple was called the Court of the Women. We've talked about the Court of the Gentiles already. It's kind of the outer area. And right inside was this court called the Court of the Women. And in this court, the Jewish women could gather, were allowed to enter and pray and worship there. And in the midst of this court, there were 13 offering trumpets. I know, that's what they were really called. And they were called that because, just like a trumpet, they were flared on the end and they kind of narrowed as they neared the bottom, where the box would have been to collect all the coins. And the idea was is that the people would come by and they would drop all of their coins into this trumpet thing. And think about it for a minute. We don't really, it's hard for us to kind of imagine. And a lot of countries in the world are still like this. But in those days, in this particular place, all the money was coins. There wasn't paper money. Paper was expensive. It was usually used to keep records and that sort of thing. And so the coin had actual value based on the type of money that it was made of. And so the people would come in and they would drop their offerings in these trumpets. Nine of these trumpets, there were 13 of them, were for the ministry of the temple. And these other four were kind of these free will offerings. If you had some extra, you would drop some money in those. And so you can imagine offering at this time. It was very public. It was all You can imagine up here, 13 boxes with a trumpet attached to each one. And it was very loud. Lots of metal clanging around in these trumpets. Would have been pretty cool to behold, actually. Imagine the scene. This is Passover week that we're dealing with here. So Jerusalem is typically a pretty big city at that time, around 50,000. But at this time of year, it would have swollen to around 250,000 because of all the pilgrims coming in. And they're all coming in and they're paying their tributes. They're coming in to worship. It would have been a really loud place. All of this money filtering down through these metal trumpets into these boxes. And Jesus is sitting off in the corner watching the whole thing. 
And yet he has a different perspective than most because, you know, he's the son of God. And so not only is he man and that he can see and hear, but he also sees the heart and he knows what's going on. And so as we talk about that, we're going to talk about the heart this morning as well. And so we'll get to our first point, giving from excess. Look at verse 41 again. And he, Jesus, sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. Notice the word choice here from Mark. Many rich people put in large sums. So there were lots of people. Where are all these rich people coming from? Well, again, it's Passover. And think about it just a little bit. Everyone is coming in, uh, making a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, the holy city. And what types of people are able to kind of just drop all of their ordinary work? It's not like they had grocery stores and that sort of thing back then. Everyone had to kind of grow their own food. And so what type of people is able to put that off and put down everything and then go on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem? a lot of rich people not to say that only rich people made these pilgrimages but it was a lot of them and so all these wealthy people are coming into this portion of the temple known as the court of the women both men and women putting their offerings in these trumpets kind of reminds me well it reminds me of a couple of things you know the the machines and like the grocery store was like turn your coins into cash I thought coins were cash, but you get the idea. And they're loud when you hear someone dumping that. Or when I was a kid, it was the one you put the quarter in and it kind of rolled around the bowl. I don't know. That's what I think about. Just as an aside, not important at all. But it's a loud scene. And there's lots of people. So there's not just a few. So when it comes to the nature of their giving, Jesus tells us about these rich people that they gave, that they contributed Out of their abundance. Verse 44. They contributed out of their abundance. Now, we have to make sure that we're careful here. Because there's not necessarily a connection between the amount that they gave and their spiritual state. We like to do that a lot. We aren't to believe that the rich people in that day gave one way, good, bad, and this poor widow was the only one who was the correct in or correct in the way that she gave. Because what are we told about her other than that she gave all that she had? Do we know anything about her heart at all? We don't. It could be that she gave reluctantly. It could be that she gave under compulsion. I mean, if you look at the very at the previous passage that we looked at last week, verse forty, what did it say about the scribes? What did they do when they went into widows' houses? They devoured their households. They convinced these women to give all that they had. And so it could be that this poor lady is here at the church giving all that she had because she's been told by some scribe that she has to do that. We don't know what's going on here. We do know that she gave all that she had. Jesus tells us that. The point I'm trying to make is that we have to be careful that we don't pick sides That we make the rich people bad, this poor widow good. We like to do that. And you should know by now why we like to do that. We like the little chart, don't we? Where we put the rich people at the bottom, we put the widow at the top, and we like to put ourselves 
somewhere along the way, trying desperately to be the widow in our lives. Just as long as we're better than those rich people, that's all that matters. We're creating a standard that we can be better than and one that we're trying to get to that isn't Christ. Because then, what happens then? Well, we quickly find ourselves wanting, even in that standard that we create, because we don't give all that we have. We don't. Nor is anyone asking you to do that. We've all heard the passage taught lots of ways, I'm sure. You've all heard people say things like this. Well, we should give like this widow and give sacrificially. Or we should all be like this widow and we should give until it hurts us a little bit. You've probably heard that one. I know I have. Or on the other other side, we don't need to be like the rich people. They obviously didn't give enough. Whatever that is. You've all heard it. There's some truth here that we need to gather. And I think the rest of the New Testament is going to help us. I do think there are some important principles for us to consider. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And this is going to be another one of those passages that you've heard a bunch. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we'll start at verse 5. Just for a little bit of context before we start reading this section. The church in Corinth had planned to give a gift, a generous gift, to Paul's ministry. And Paul is addressing their gift here. So keep that in the context of what we read, starting in verse 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you and arrange in advance for the gift that you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work, as it is written, and we see here Paul quoting from Psalm 112, which we read today, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also an overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for this inexpressible gift. So I think it's good to hear Paul's context there, just kind of how he's thanking the Corinthian church for the gift that they're going to give. And notice here, Paul doesn't want this gift to be a burden for them. In verse 5, he says, 
I want you to go ahead and be thinking about this and arrange this in advance so that it can be a free gift. So it can be a willful gift, not as an exaction, meaning not as something like an electric bill, you know, like, oh, there's the bill. I got to pay it. It's expected of me to do so. But something that I can freely give. No one's going to give money freely to the electric company, right? You're going to pay to them what you owe them. That's called an exaction. That's not the way that we give to the ministry of God. We give freely. And we see that as he expounds upon that in verses 6 and 7. Those who sow little will reap little, vice versa. This is a spiritual principle, by the way, not a material one. We aren't talking about giving 20 bucks to the church and watching the Lord multiply it in the checks that he's going to mail to you. That's not what this is about at all. That stuff is just silly. I think it's been a black eye on the church for the last 50 plus years. But just think about this. If you give money to the church, if you give your resources to the work of the church, what's going to happen as a result of that? What is the Lord going to do with that money? Well, he's going to use it and you're going to see his work expand. And that's going to in turn benefit you. And that's going to benefit the people of God. You will reap what you sow. It's always saying the giver benefits from this in a spiritual way. Because the gift was from love. It was from cheerfulness rather than feeling like you had to. Kind of like when you pay your bills. This isn't an exaction. This is something that you give because you want to do so. And so when you read verse 7, which is, which sadly is overused a lot, but when you read it that we should be a cheerful giver, it should make sense in this context that it's not something that we have to do in that we're not having this exacted from us. The Lord doesn't need your money at all. But He wants you to give from a cheerful heart. Now if you pair this with Mark chapter 12, the rich people giving out of their abundance. Think about this for just a minute. Does a rich person care about their electric bill every month? No, it just kind of happens. Unless they live in like a skyscraper or something. Right? They just live in a house. Electric bill just kind of gets, it's just, it's like taking a few pennies out of their pocket. It's nothing. What about their offering to the church? Is it just another bill that they don't think about? It just kind of happens. It's nothing. Or do they consider what they're giving to the church as a part of their worship to the Lord? Because Paul said, what did he say? How should we give? One must give as he has decided in his heart. So this isn't just something that happens. This isn't something that just kind of comes out of our bank account. Not to say that you, you can set it up to where it has that. I'm not saying that. But this is something that we consider. This is something that we think about. This is something that is a spiritual, on-purpose type decision that we make. And so the question for us then is, have we made that decision? Has giving just kind of become this rote thing that we do just because we think that we have to? Are we cheerful when we give? And what that means is, have we counted the cost? Have we considered and say, I'm glad to give this. I am not glad to pay my electric bill every month. I don't mind doing it. I owe them that money, but it doesn't make me thrilled to do so. I'm not going to get anything back but the service that is owed to me. When I pay to the church, it's something much more real and fulfilling that happens as a result of that. And so this is a question that we need to ask ourselves. Because this is the difference here between 
the rich person and the widow. And it's not about amounts, but about this on-purpose nature of our gift. That brings me to the next point, giving from poverty. Look with me again in Mark 12, verses 43 and 44. He called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, the poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box, for they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything that she had, all she had to live on. Now think about that for just a moment. This widow gave all she had to live on. Everything. She put in all of her money. That, that two pieces of copper, which would have been very little, worth very little ultimately in the grand scheme of things. But she emptied her coffers. Literally. And so when the preacher stands up to you and says that this is teaching us that we should give sacrificially, we really need to be careful here because if we want to take that to its absolute end, what did this widow do? She emptied her checking account to zero. Is that what it's teaching us to do? That each week we should empty our checking account to zero. I don't think so. And you've all heard the itinerant preacher, right, who comes along and says that he remembered the time that he had a dollar forty in his checking account and he tied 14 cents in order to be set faithful. You've all heard that story, and every time it wasn't true. Again, that's not the point of what's being said here. I think the tithe is a good thing. I think a tenth is a great standard for giving. But it's not about a number. It's not about an amount. It's about your heart. So think about that for a moment. Think about it in the context of Jesus sitting there watching all this money go into these offerings. Did he need the money? Does God need our money? No. In reality, it's all his, right? I use this kind of teaching with my children regularly when they fight over things. My girls essentially all wear the same size of clothing now. And so each of them has increased their wardrobe by triple, you know, at least that's probably the way they see it. So there's a lot of clothes swapping that goes on, and sometimes it goes on in secret and without permission. Clothes ends up in so-and-so's room, and, you know, it wasn't supposed to be there. And, and the way that I end it is the same way every time. They're all my clothes. It's my house. That's my closet. My clothes. And it's over. It's all mine, right? Consider that in the grand scheme of things. God created the earth. And all that is in it, he created you, he created me, he created the money that we earn, he created the means by which we earn it. He could take it all away in an instant. Sometimes he does. He could add to it. He could subtract from it. However he pleases. It's all his. So when we give to him, when I put money in the box, we are giving to him something that is already his. Something that he has given to us in the first place. He doesn't need our money. He's not thinking, if they would just give a little bit more, then I could do my work. He is not held up by us or some trivial thing like money. Yet, why does he ask us to give? Because it's a part of our worship. He's made it that way, in fact. That we should give back to him a portion of the things that he has given to us. 
He doesn't do this because he needs it. He does it because he cares about what's in our heart. What are the things that we hold dear? Is it the worship of him or is it this thing called money? It's all about understanding what God already owns, which is everything. And then he calls me to be his child. And then I can freely give back to him. However, the spirit leads to know that God will take care of me to know that he will be glorified for some. That's going to be a large amount for others. It's going to be a small amount. It's not about the amount. It's about how he leads. And if you go back to second Corinthians chapter nine, and you see this again playing out in, in verse seven through 10. And I'll just, I'm not going to quote from it, but he talks about this and he quotes from Psalm 112. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Blessed, Psalm 112 says this, blessed is the person who fears the Lord. And then it describes this person. You can see that on your worship bulletin. This person and what they are doing to demonstrate that they indeed fear the Lord. And part of what they are doing is giving generously, giving freely to the poor and his righteousness endures forever. And it's not because of the giving by itself, because it comes from a heart that fears the Lord, a heart that is cheerful and gives from the right place. Ultimately, it's God who supplies the seed to the sower and we just give according to how he leads. So where does this leave us? Well, to make sure, I don't want to over-spiritualize this because it is a very physical thing, giving is. It's something that we do give. It's something that does deplete us in some measure or not. Though we have talked about the spiritual reality of giving, it's, again, very physical. It's all an act of our worship. We can easily get lost in spiritualizing this, though. And you've all heard it, kind of staring into our own little spiritual selves and wondering what's there. But there's a plain scriptural command for us to give. And the principle for how we ought to give is from a cheerful heart, not because we have to, because it's our duty, not reluctantly, as Paul says, or under compulsion, but because we love the Lord, because we love his work, because we love the church. And so going back to what I talked about to at the very beginning about passing the plate and why we don't do it. Well, first, passing the plate is not wrong at all. Passing the offering plate. But when we first met, we talked about it and we decided we wanted people to give toward the work of the Lord, toward our work here at Redeemer for the right reasons. So we chose an offering box rather than passing the plate. This offering box isn't a new idea. In fact, we just read about one from first century Jerusalem. It's as old as Jesus' time. Churches have been doing it for hundreds of years. But rather than feel compelled by the presence of a plate in front of you, you all know the feeling, right? It's time for the offering. Here comes the plate. Okay, everyone's looking at me. What am I going to do? How do I handle this? We all know that. Rather than feel that, you're allowed to give freely as you feel. This frees us up to give how we choose. This frees us up also in another way. It frees us up from judging others when we watch them give. You can give once a month, once a week, once a quarter, whatever works for you. 
You don't have to think about it. I don't have to think about it. Giving is an act of worship. Many tie it to the worship service, which is important. So that's why we put the box here in the sanctuary. It's not in some other hidden sort of place. We're not ashamed of it or anything like that. You can give before church and give after church. You can give during the worship service, whatever works for you. And this, just to say this, we have lots of people visiting today, so I want to say this. If you're not ready to commit your financial resources for the work here, that's fine. The Lord doesn't need your money. We want you to feel like you should give from a cheerful heart. So don't feel like you have to give. You know, one of the things that people always say about the church is they just want our money. Well, we don't actually. The Lord wants it. And that's his business. And that's between you and the Lord, not us. And so as we talk about these acts of giving, we have to point to the most important act of giving there is. And that is the sacrifice that Christ made on behalf of his people. And don't forget, as he's sitting there in this temple, he's just days away from his own crucifixion. This may seem like an afterthought, but it's kind of at the heart of what we've been learning here. Because for someone to give cheerfully to the work of Christ, they have to have been changed by Christ. They have to have been changed. The reason we would never ask, for instance, an unbeliever to give to the work of the church is because I can't imagine why an unbeliever would want to give to the work of the church. Christ died for his people and his people should want to give back to him as an act of grateful praise. That's all he asks. So as we consider the work that Christ did for us, it's time for us to ask ourselves, what is it that compels me as a Christian to give? Is it because I have to? Or is it because the love of Christ compels me to do so? Christ gave himself completely for us. He gave so that we could have life. And he doesn't require anything at all in return. He didn't die on the cross so that I would owe him big time. In fact, he died on the cross and I owe nothing. There's actually nothing that I could pay even if I wanted to. All the money in the world and every offering box in the world wouldn't buy the least bit of standing before a holy father when he looks at your heart without Jesus Christ. At all. You need Jesus. In Christ, for those of you who are in Christ, what does the Father see when he looks at you? He sees the very righteousness of Christ. Without him, he would see a debt that you couldn't possibly pay. And so if you're not in Christ this morning, rather than wonder, how is it that I could possibly earn this gift of salvation? The gift of salvation is a free gift. For everyone who calls upon his name, call upon his name this morning and be saved. So in conclusion, for those of us who are in Christ, let us consider what has been done for us through the work of Christ. And let us be ones who give, but just like Paul says, not reluctantly, not out of compulsion. This isn't an electric bill, but cheerfully because he first loved us. Let us also give so that God's grace in our lives and the lives of others might increase all the more. Let's go to him in prayer. 
Our Lord Jesus, you have given us so much. In fact, we can't even begin to even think about it. We don't have a category for what you have given us. The very breath that we use as we stand here is yours to give. It's not ours. And so, Lord, we are thankful. We are thankful most of all for the life that we have, the eternal life that we have in you. So, Lord, we pray that you would help us, that when it comes to our giving to your work, that it would be from a cheerful heart, that we wouldn't give reluctantly, that we wouldn't feel compelled to do so out of a sense of duty, but we would give to you because we love you. And, Lord, when it comes to the ministry that you have called us to, that we would do likewise, that the world would see that, too, that we don't want their money we just want to teach them about jesus we want to offer them the free gift of the gospel lord help us it's in jesus name we pray amen